0: The Supreme Court issued three historic rulings this morning, including some that came as a big surprise. Former Glee star Naya Rivera is presumed dead after a likely boating accident. And author Emily Tamkin is here to talk about billionaire George Soros, his real influence, and how he became the number one villain for some on the right.
1: The date July 9th, 2020.
0: The time, News O'Clock.
1: Hey friends, I'm Hayes Brown.
0: And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to News O'Clock. Before we start with today's news, we wanted to share some listener reactions we got in response to yesterday's episode. As a reminder, we talked with Deb Perlman about the dilemma working parents are finding themselves in, having to pick between their jobs and their kids.
1: Jennifer wrote... I'm sorry that it is challenging for parents, but as a teacher parentheses, and a parent, I am neither expendable nor a babysitter. I love my students and their families, but I will not sacrifice my life or my family's life, nor would I expect that of my child's teacher.
0: I mean, it's an extremely valid point. We already know that um, teachers are wildly underpaid. They're paying Mm -hmm. for their own resources often for their students. And so it's like adding this onto it is too much. But, you know, now we're in a situation where it's like it shouldn't be on the teachers and it shouldn't be fully on the parents.
1: Right. No, someone is breaking down here and Mm -hmm. having the parents and teachers go to war over it, I feel like is not productive here. It's not they're not the ones who should be fighting at the moment.
0: Definitely. Also on yesterday's show, we discussed the new hand gesture that teens are using to mimic being on the phone. You know the one, hand flat on their face.
1: Boo! I'm (laughs) jumping in to say boo once more, Casey, because it's bad (laughs) and wrong. Sorry, teens.
0: And we got this charming message from Erica in Montana.
2: My son, who is almost 13, uh, when he was a baby, he didn't wave hello. He held his palm up to his ear. Because, well, he heard me on the phone a lot because I was a very bored, very lonely, uh, stay-at-home and single mom. And uh, I spent a whole lot of time on the phone calling my mom and my dad and just wanting to talk to somebody. Anyway, I guess he was a bit of a trailblazer and maybe I wasn't
1: such a terrible parent okay but that's really cute though that okay is, I, that's
0: adorable I, I, and this reminds me i must have seen it on reddit or twitter years ago and it was about this toddler who was looking at a magazine and started trying to zoom in on it like it was an ah, ipad i remember
1: seeing <laughs> that and it's like oh no child you have so such high expectations for paper oh no <laughs> Flat surface, any flat surface to this baby is now an iPad. Uh, But yes, you're a good mom, Erica. You're a good mom.
0: Listeners, we love hearing from you. So remember that you too can share your thoughts with us in a voice memo or message. Just send us an email at newsoclock at buzzfeed.com. That's newsoclock, all one word. Or you can DM us on Twitter. We're at newsoclock there.
1: Okay, it's time for today's top stories, Casey. Uh, Here are three things that people out there need to know. One. The Supreme Court ended this year's term with a bang, issuing three major decisions that a lot of people may not have quite predicted. We'll dive more deeply into some of these cases tomorrow, but here are the highlights. First, the court ruled 5-4 in favor of the Creek Nation, saying that under federal law, nearly half of Oklahoma still counts as native land, giving them jurisdiction over criminal cases against tribal members. Trump appointee Neil Gorsuch wrote the opinion where he said, quote, Many of the arguments today follow a sadly familiar pattern. Yes, promises were made, but the price of keeping them has become too great, so we now should cast a blind eye. We reject that thinking. And then came two back-to-back rulings from the court on access to Trump's tax returns. In the first case, the court ruled that New York City District Attorney Cyrus Vance can, in fact, subpoena the president's tax returns and present them to a criminal grand jury. The second decision was a bit trickier. In the case of House Democrats calling for a subpoena of Trump's financial records, the court ruled that congressional subpoenas need to be related to legislative matters and that lower courts need to be skeptical when Congress is asking for a president's personal records, like his tax returns. This means that case has been bumped back down to the lower courts for more hearings. Again, we'll unpack these cases and what all of this means for the election tomorrow. 2. The head of the CDC said today that his agency will not be editing the guidelines for reopening schools despite White House pressure to do so, but things are still really confusing. The CDC guidelines include things like having students stay six feet apart at all times and maybe installing physical barriers like sneeze guards in schools. President Trump, though, tweeted yesterday that the CDC is, quote, asking schools to do very impractical things. At a press conference on Wednesday, CDC director Dr. Robert Redfield said that the guidelines were, much like the Pirate Code from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, just guidelines, and that the purpose is to, quote, facilitate the reopening and keeping open the schools in this country. Vice President Mike Pence went even further than President Trump, proclaiming that the CDC would be issuing a new set of tools later. Redfield went on Good Morning America this morning to clear things up and did not clear things up, refusing to answer just what guidelines might be loosened. Instead, he said that the CDC is working with schools to pick and choose which of the guidelines make sense for their community. And three, transcripts of the body cameras worn as George Floyd was dying with the Minneapolis police officer's knee on his neck were released yesterday, revealing that Floyd told officers he couldn't breathe more than 20 times. The transcripts were released as part of a motion filed by one of the four officers charged in Floyd's death in an attempt to get his case dropped. According to the transcripts, in response to Floyd's pleas, former officer Derek Chauvin said, quote, then stop talking, stop yelling. It takes a heck of a lot of oxygen to talk. Among the other harrowing quotes from Floyd in the more than nine minutes Chauvin spent with his knee on his neck include, quote, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I'll probably just die this way. And, quote, I'm scared as fuck, man. Tell my kids I love them. I'm dead.
0: That's awful to hear again. And uh, also, I'm genuinely confused as to why one of the four officers would think this would help get his case dropped.
1: So he thinks so because... According to his lawyers, he's trying to make the argument that okay, he was one of the rookie cops who was out there for really one of the first times he was following Chauvin's lead and that the transcripts would show that he was not really involved and that at one point he asked, shouldn't we turn Floyd over onto his side instead of leaving him on his back? Uh, which Chauvin said, no no, we keep him right here basically. Mm. so it's a it's a Hail Mary for sure because no one looks good in the situation at all. Definitely not. So Casey, what's happening on your side of the internet today?
0: Well, Hayes, this is tragic. Uh, Former Glee star Naya Rivera is missing and reportedly presumed dead after what is likely a swimming accident. Rivera and her son, four year old Josie, reportedly rented a pontoon boat yesterday on Lake Piru, which is about 50 miles south of LA. About three hours later, so about 4 p.m. LA time, another boater found her son asleep on the pontoon without Rivera. Josie said that they had gone out swimming, but his mother hadn't returned. A search team was immediately called in, but were unable to find Rivera. The search resumed this morning, but a Ventura County Sheriff's deputy told the press today, quote, we hope for the best. We prepare for the worst.
1: Oh, that is so sad. I I feel like I got a push alert for this right as I was Mm. attempting to go to sleep way too late last night. And just wow, I can't believe that.
0: I know, it's a shock. You know, everyone on Twitter, including, you know, former castmates and then just fans have been like tweeting, you know, like praying for her, wishing that she's okay. And then there's a lot of people who were talking about just how so much tragedy has befallen the Glee cast. I mean... Back in 2013, we had Corey Monteith, who died of a drug overdose. And then in 2018, we had Mark Salling, who uh, committed suicide while awaiting trial over child porn allegations.
1: Oh, so tragic. What? A cursed show? Almost. I mean, we were just making fun of this show like a few weeks ago. And I was like, oh, wow. What a reason to have to bring it back up again.
0: You know, yeah. And and it hits people really hard who are on social media because Naya was just posting pictures of her and her son how how 2020 has been for her and it's just hard to see that like two days ago and then find out this news it's definitely people are reeling for sure so in other news the band formerly known as lady antebellum who we talked about previously on the podcast filed a lawsuit yesterday against a black blues singer in a dispute to use their new name lady a the band announced last month during the peak of the Black Lives Matter protests that they'd be swapping out their name, which references the pre-Civil War South, for Lady A instead. The problem is, it also happens to be a name that a woman named Anita White says she's been performing with for over 20 years. At one point, it looked like they'd reached a deal on the name, but according to a statement from the band, Anita White then got a new lawyer and came back asking for $10 million for the rights to the name Lady A. But... The lawsuit the band filed yesterday says that the band already trademarked the name Lady A with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office back in 2011. They're not asking for any more money in their suit just for the courts to give them the all clear to use the name.
1: That is so messy. That is such a mess right now, because on the one hand, you have the band who you we assume in good faith was trying to do the right thing by changing their name. And I cannot blame Anita White at all for trying to get the bag and trying to come back and say, no, no, please give me so much money for this name. You famous ass band.
0: And, and it's just like, you know, you could go on Twitter and see, it kind of feels like at one point, even if Lady Antebellum or Lady A might be, uh, have the right when it comes to legality of the name, it feels as if they missed the point because they tried to change their name. So it would be less racist. And now they're going after a black woman in the industry who's had that name for 20 years. So it feels like the point is way over
1: here and they're way over there. I know I'm, I'm actually personally toying. I know this is like uh, a bit of a hot take, but I'm actually kind of on the band side here. I feel bad for saying so, but I figured they filed the patent. They have the legal right to use the name. And I, they're not asking for money so it's it's a tough one in in my book i'm really curious to see how this one plays out both in the courts and in uh terms of like the public eye because all goodwill they were trying to get from the name change completely gone the short term
0: yes 100 percent. it is gone
1: <laughs> all right when we come back we've got author emily tampkin talking about the influence of george soros stay right there
0: Hello, hello. Hey, I don't know if you heard, but my podcast, Checking It, has been nominated for the NAACP Image Award in the category of Outstanding Lifestyle and Self-Help Podcast. I'm grateful for the nomination. I I almost didn't even do a podcast because I was just wondering, there are thousands of podcasts out there and why is my voice needed? But a nomination from the NAACP lets me know that um, I made the right choice and I encourage you to do, don't worry if there are, thousands of something out that you want to do. No, nobody has your sauce. So listen, you can still vote. Go to vote.nouacpimageawards.net. You have until February 5th, um, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And please listen to my podcast. We're a part of the Black Effect Podcast Network on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for checking in. Welcome back. George Soros is a name you might have heard or come across a lot online, even if you don't really know who he is. On the right, George Soros is a boogeyman, the hand behind. On the left, a champion for democracy, but still a scrutinized member of the ultra elite.
1: Whatever you may think of him, his influence is undeniable. And that is exactly what today's guest, Emily Tamkin, talks about in her new book, The Influence of Soros Politics, Power, and the Struggle for an Open Society. Hello, Emily.
2: Hi, Hayes. Thank you so much to you and to Casey for having me on. Yes, we're glad to have you. So
0: in your book, you make clear that this is not a biography of Soros, but rather, as the title states, the story of his influence. What made you want to explore that?
2: Right. I mean, there have been, Michael Kaufman wrote in the early 2000s, a biography of George Soros where he sits and talks with him for hours and hours about his childhood and the first marriage and the second marriage. Um, That was written in a very different era, you know, it kind of comes off as, it's it's a wonderful book for anybody who's interested in reading it, but it's sort of the story of this great man who at the time, you know, yes, there had been conspiracy theories, conspiracy theories about Soros have been around since, I mean, for decades, Um, but it wasn't like it is today, where I think Soros is almost better known for the conspiracy theories than he is for what his actual influence has been, even though that influence has been tremendous. So I wanted to write a book that did three things. One, that took stock of what the influence has actually been, particularly in the realms of finance, philanthropy, and politics. Um, Two, separate that out from the conspiracy theories about him and ask, well, why why is it so attractive to conspiracy theorists? And then three, as you kind of hinted at in your uh, lovely introduction, to ask whether... Soros' idea of an open society, one in which we all come together for discussion and debate, whether that idea is compatible with the concept of billionaire philanthropists. Yeah.
1: So for those out there who aren't familiar, uh, what can you briefly say about the extent of George Soros' actual influence on the world?
2: I think it's been tremendous. Um, he's one of the most successful hedge fund, meta finance, uh, currency speculators in history. But I think more than that, what he will be remembered for is somebody who cared very passionately about this idea of a civic, as opposed to an ethnic-based conception of citizenship. So what that means is, if you are part of a country, a society, whatever, um, you should be able to participate in that in that country, in that uh, in that society. Now, again, we can talk about the sort of irony or tension of one. You know, if we're all taking part in this discussion, how is this one guy deciding who gets the money? Like that doesn't really seem. Or even how does this one guy have that much money, right? Because he can put his um, his hand on the scale in the way that, like, I can't, you can't, right? How We're much you see worth billion. right now, by
1: the way? I I never it's remember. Worth,
2: it's worth, it's like around $8 billion. Mm, and, he's several. Given, <laughs> and he gave $18 billion to Open Society, wow. which is the foundation. But, you know, should one person be able to have that much to decide to give away or not? Um, and then the second thing is that, you know, I do think that if you have so much power in the financial realm that you can make decisions that, that lead countries to leave economic groups or that throw countries into financial chaos, then your financial influence has influence in the political and civic realms that you're giving money to try to better. So that, I, think, I, th- I do think that there's a tension there as well. Right.
0: So as you mentioned, Soros is a billionaire philanthropist at a time where there is increasing scrutiny on anyone with that amount of wealth. How do you reconcile that?
2: I don't think you can. Um, you know, I, I, I fundamentally think that it's an unreconcilable tension. What I will say is that some of the scrutiny that is on billionaire philanthropy, I think, not to be like, well, it's, it's happening because of Soros, but I do think that the causes that he has supported um, have created space to have a discussion about creating more equitable society. So, you know, the, the fact that he has given scholarships to students to study who wouldn't have otherwise had that opportunity, the fact that he has pushed against nationalism, the fact that he has um, funded people who work against corruption, the fact that he's worked in criminal justice reform, all of that, like all of those recipients are better placed to have the discussion to say, well, wait a minute, why am I waiting for this guy to cut me a check?
0: So what would you say was the turning point when Soros basically became a meme, especially for the far right, where he's painted as being a possible agent behind anything that they don't like?
2: Yeah, I think in this country, there's two main turning points. There's the election of 2004 when he says, oh, we really have to stop the re-election of George Bush. I'm going to become a major political donor. Um, They paid for basically for get out the vote efforts in many states across the country. um, And that is that spending is separate from the open society philanthropic spending but because it like both goes back to Soros it, there are it became easier for people to conflate the two and then the other change is the the 2015 migration crisis um, before this had happened Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban had met Arthur Finkelstein who is this New York Republican operator and Finkelstein sort of helps Orban the conspiracy theory had already been in Hungary so they kind of like Dusted off um, and are like, well, you've won, you've won election now, you've come back to power, and we don't want to legitimize any of your actual opponents, so rather than build them up, what we're going to do is attack this guy who lives in New York, but has his origins in Hungary and mm. has spent a b- bunch of money here, and then there, there's the migration crisis, and Soros had like written an op-ed for Project Syndicate about how, since refugees were already here, here's how we can um, um, bring them into society, and Orban was like, aha. I can use this because even more effective than trashing liberal philanthropists is trashing a migrant or refugee who's different from my base. And if I can sprinkle in a little anti-Semitic, je ne sais quoi, (laughs) you know, like that is going to be a super effective conspiracy theory. Then in 2018, you have Donald Trump asked by reporter, do you think this migrant caravan could be from Soros? Yeah. I mean, it could be right. some people are saying that. And so you have it, um, in Europe, and then in twenty eighteen is when I saw it really pick up in the United States.
1: Mm-hmm. So, in your book, you also explored the conspiracy theories around Soros that you mentioned earlier, of which there are so many. Were you surprised yes. by any of your findings?
2: Yes, I was just. I mean, it's. I, I was just surprised, and maybe I, maybe this was naive of me, but of how everywhere they are, mm. you know, that there was no like rock I would overturn that there that, where there where I wouldn't find a conspiracy theory. Um, the one that I find still like every time I hear it, is, it's shocking to me is, um, that he's accused of collaborating with the Nazis. Like, I just think that, that every yeah, time I heard every it, time. what it's like, I can't believe I'm hearing this again. Um, the most shocking one lately, which is not in my book is the, the gentleman who's running for Congress in Florida who said that Beyonce is a deep state agent. Paid by Soros, Mm. Mm. which was A, Mm. surprising, and B... As a Beyonce fan, frustrating, <laughs> you know, because I would have loved to include Mrs. <laughs> Carter in my book.
1: Uh, get a quote from Beyonce. Slap that yeah, in there. Yeah,
2: exactly, exactly. For the
1: paperback. <laughs> save that for the paperback. Uh, mm-hmm, so, the so was there any truth behind any of the conspiracies that you looked into, though? Or were they all just fabrications, anti-Semitism wrapped up in a blanket of uh, just just making notes, just ha- asking questions?
2: I think that there is a kernel, the the tricky thing, well, first of all, I think that the reason that they're so effective is because of anti-Semitism. So it's hard for me to be like, that one is anti-Semitic, that one's not anti-Semitic because the reason that they stick is because of anti-Semitic stereotypes. Having said that, I do think that there's a kernel of um, not accuracy, but reality in many of the conspiracy theories, not all, but many. So, you know, let's take, for example, the idea that the Black Lives Matter protests against police brutality... Are organized and paid for by Soros. This is obviously a completely ridiculous um, conspiracy theory. It's anti Semitic because it assigns, it it says that this one Jewish man is paying for a group of people and making them do something. It's also very insulting to the Black Lives Matter protesters, right? and, And stripping them of their agency and saying that it's so, for all of these reasons, it's wrong and bad. However, Soros has been involved in pushing for criminal justice reform since the late 1990s. He gave grants, or Open Society gave grants, to work on restorative justice programs. More recently, Soros has paid for progressive prosecutors and their district attorney elections. So you can kind of, like, squint and tilt your head and see where it's coming from, mm-hmm. right? hes It's not like he's unrelated. Like, it's not like he's never had anything to do with the causes that Black Lives Matter is fighting for. He has. But that doesn't make it accurate, true, a replication of reality or worth repeating.
1: This all sounds so interesting and fascinating, and honestly complex. Where can people go to get your book at this point, Emily?
2: It's available at good bookstores everywhere. Um, <laughs> no, it's uh, you can buy it. I mean, it's if you go to the Harper website, you can sort of pick. It's through Amazon, Barnes and Noble. I personally may get in trouble for saying this. I would encourage you to um, order through your local independent
1: bookstore excellent well Emily thank you so much for joining us and giving us all of the fun Soros facts that I did not have until today
2: oh thank you guys so much for having me on it was a real pleasure to speak with my former colleague yes. um, and with you Casey yes.
1: That's it for today. Join us tomorrow for a deeper dive into today's SCOTUS decisions and what they mean for the upcoming election with BuzzFeed News reporter Zoe Tillman.
0: And remember, the Masked Singer went an entire damn season singing their heart out in a full head-covering mask. You can wear one to go out and grab tacos.
1: Be sure to subscribe to Music Lock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories.
0: And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock.
3: All partners, losing weight is better together with NutraSystems partner plan. In fact, people who diet together lose 20% more weight than dieting on their own. Get new premium meals with up to 30 grams of protein. They're big and filling and taste delicious. Plus, try our new restaurant faves that taste like your favorite restaurant portioned with half the calories. Don't wait. You could win big cash during NutraSystems Better Together partner plan 100k giveaway and maybe win the grand prize of $25,000. Just go to nutrasystem.com/thin
0: What's up, what's up? This is Robin Dixon, co-host of Reasonably Shady, which has just been nominated for an NAACP Image Award in the Outstanding Arts and Entertainment Podcast category. This is so big for Giselle and I. And of course, we must thank all of our fantastic listeners. But we need your help. Visit vote.naacpimageawards.net to vote for Reasonably Shady. That's vote.naacpimageawards.net imageawards.net. But don't wait. Voting closes on February 5th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And make sure to listen to Reasonably Shady every single Monday on the Black Effect Podcast Network.